That's the kind of people we have here. Listen, uh, today we're going to talk about money. For two weeks, we're going to talk about money. Ain't nobody likes to talk about money except for Jesus. Jesus loves to talk about money. He talks about money all the time. And so we're going to talk about it for the next two weeks. Not only does Jesus talk about money all the time, but look up here at Luke chapter 12, verse 1. It's up here on the screen. Jesus, or Luke writes this. He says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. This is the context into which Jesus introduces a conversation about money. Nobody even wants to think about money, much less talk about it. But Jesus, when thousands of people were clamoring to hear him and trampling on one another in order to hear his teaching, he's eh, let's talk about money. Bring up that awkward conversation, Jesus, why don't you? And Jesus begins to talk about money. So that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. But we're going to come at it in the way that Jesus comes at it, rather than in the way we kind of reluctantly come at it, the way the church kind of comes at it sometimes is, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to get rich. That's what we're going to talk about. Because in this passage today, I am not kidding, Jesus gives us a simple, no-fail formula that will make us rich. And he, and, he, and he gives it to thousands of people that are clamoring to hear him. He gives a simple, no-fail formula on how to get rich. Think of that now. This is not an internet scheme. It's not a person on a commercial offering you kind of a surefire win in an investment. This is the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the owner of all that is and was and is to come, sovereign over all of creation, and he's about to say to you and me today, do this and you'll get rich. That's what he's about to say in Luke chapter 12. Now to help us launch into this discussion, let me ask you a question. Have you ever bought something on an impulse that you realized after the fact was a complete waste of money? You ever bought something, just, just you know what, I, I just got to have that thing. I just got to have that thing. You know what always gets me is those darn things that they put in restaurants with the claw and the stuffed animals in there. Even as an adult, like I'll pump quarters into that thing. And to, some of you are laughing because you know it's like I've got to have that, you know, stuffed maple leaf bear or something, you know, um, there's some maple leaf jokes there somewhere, but I pump quarters into that thing, and, and it's, it's an impulse buy. Or basically, like any food you would buy at Canada's Wonderland or the X, those are all impulse buys. It's like, here, let's see, what, what can we deep fry this year is essentially what they're doing at Canada's Wonderland and the X. Or let's swing in the, in the total opposite direction when it comes to like health food. You ever get on a health food kick and you go buy like a $400 juicer on an impulse buy? And like a whole bunch of protein and produce. And you're like, man, I'm committed. Like, I'm going to juice. That's, that's going to be me. Now I'm going to be the juice guy. You're not going to juice. You're never, you never wanted to juice. You're not going to juice. You're not going to use that juicer. But I'll tell you what, that Vitamix makes great ice cream, doesn't it? Very, very good. Like, I'm a TV guy. I watch a lot of TV. Nobody ever wants to say that they watch TV. I watch a lot of TV. I love TV. Uh, so I'm always the guy that watches the, the, the infomercials. And you know that tool that they, that they released just now? You put on a snow shovel that helps you shovel snow. Have you seen that one on TV? I want that thing. I want that really cool axe that splits wood for you. I want a pineapple corer. Does anybody have a pineapple corer, by the way? The thing that you, you know, put down in the pineapple and it skins it for you and spears it. I want one of those things. I want a hot pocket maker for all the hot pockets I make. 
I want an omelet maker and I want a cupcake maker. I, I just, and, and I just, I have this impulse that says, I, I, I want to buy these things. I know they're bad investments, but I want to do it. Or ask Amy, like I always, like with clothes, I get impulse buys when it comes to clothing. And I am notorious for making absolutely horrible choices when it comes to clothes. I really am, because I have an impulse to do that. Or, or what about this? Do you have items in your house that you spent an enormous chunk of change on, or, or you know, you made a pretty significant investment in something that's in your house that is now completely obsolete? You have anything in your house like that? Anybody have an Encyclopedia Britannica still? Anybody have one of those? You know, those used to cost like two thousand dollars for the set, and now like I got more information on my phone. Anybody have a lifetime membership to Blockbuster Video? You remember back in the day when you used to go into Blockbuster Video and you see the one video and then there was like five VHS tapes behind it and you had to, you know, it was always, you had to flip through and see if, um, see if they still had them available. What about, does anybody have the, the Zach Morris phone still? Like the huge brick phone that's like the size of a microwave? How about a VHS player? Anybody have a VHS player? Those were expensive back in the day and now they're totally obsolete. I mean, it's even hard to find VHS tapes anymore. I mean, think about all the times that you might have done this, that you made an impulse buy or you bought something that's now totally obsolete. It's a vehicle, it's a home, it's a vacation, or like a sweet leather jacket with your face airbrushed on the back, something like that, or those Reebok pump shoes that you're reaching down and pumping up and going, man, these are never going to go out of style. We do that kind of stuff all the time. And if you and I can correct this problem, if we can stop buying stuff that becomes obsolete, if we can stop buying stuff that breaks down or needs to be replaced, and then we can relocate those resources and invest in long-term, high-return, secure investments, then we will be rich. That's just how it works. It's not that complicated. If we can stop buying stuff that's going to become obsolete or that's going to break down or that's going to rust or we're not going to use anymore or it's going to go out of style and we can relocate those resources into long-term, secure, high-return investments, then we will be rich. And you know what? The Bible has known this for a very long time. In fact, look at our passage today. Look at our passage today, Luke chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles, verse 33. Verse 33, with thousands of people clamoring to hear him, Luke chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus says this, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. In other words, Jesus says, stop buying stuff that's going to break, wear out, or whatever, and start buying stuff that lasts forever. Stop squandering your resources on the temporary and instead invest in the eternal. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And I want us to notice three things about this passage. Three things that Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. And it's just the second half now of verse 33. We're going to get to the first half in a minute. It's just the second half. Three things that Jesus says in verse 33. Number one, he says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Provide yourselves. 
In other words, don't, it's, he's not saying provide God with money bags that do not grow old. He's saying provide yourselves with money bags. Why? Because God does not need your money. God does not need your money. I, I don't talk about money around here very much. In fact, in 18 months of being here at the lead pastor, I have not talked about money at all. I use it as an uh, 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 illustration on occasion, but to do an entire message or now two weeks of messages about money, I'm reluctant to do that because sometimes people get a weird idea about what the Bible says about money. I don't know, they're watching too, too many TV preachers or something. And we've, and we've fooled ourselves, or people have fooled us into believing that God needs our money. Can I just put you at ease? He does not need your money. You know, you know what? Ch- check this one out. Get this. The church doesn't need it either. I'll just, I'll just put that out there. You know how I know that? Let's walk through it. This is how I know God does not need your money or mine. Exodus 19.5, God says, all the earth is mine. Job 41.11, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's, and just in case we're confused, and everything in it. God already owns it all. It's his. It belongs to him, whether we like it or not. So it would make absolutely no sense for God to request or require our money so he can amass greater wealth. He does not need it. It's like giving Bill Gates five bucks. He doesn't need it. It's his. The earth is the Lord's, and what? Come on now. Everything. He doesn't need it. I just said the church doesn't need your money. Can I just tell you why the church doesn't need your money? Because Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says that the gates of hell will not stand against his church. If the gates of hell won't stand against his church, what does a few measly bucks mean for Jesus? He doesn't need it. The church doesn't need it. Remember, God owns it all anyway. Now, I'll give you a caveat. We're going to talk about giving financially to the body of Christ over the next couple weeks. And there's parts of the scripture that tell us to do so. As men and women of God, as children of God, as members of a local community of faith, tell us to be generous to the church that we call ourselves a part of. But it's not because God needs it, get that. And it's not because the church needs it. If you get nothing else out of today, get this. Provide yourselves, not God. Why? Because he does not need your money. Number two. Number two, here's what else Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 12, verse 33. He's saying that this is a command. This is a command. I hear people talk about this passage often, and they talk about it as if Jesus is encouraging us to store up treasure in heaven. You know that he's not doing that. He's not encouraging us. He's commanding us. This is not a suggestion. It's an imperative. It's not an option. Provide yourselves. Do it. Store up treasure in heaven or in other words as jesus will put it earlier in the passage which we'll get to in a minute get rich towards god is what he says this is a command it's a biblical imperative just as much as any of the ten commandments are provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old that's just how it reads number three jesus tells us that heavenly riches last forever Look what he says. He says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. In other words, where things don't become obsolete, where things don't break down, where things don't need to get replaced. You 
commandment now, store up treasure for yourself there. He's saying that there are things in this life that will rust, grow old, break, become obsolete. Stay away from those unwise investments. Rather, relocate your resources so that you can acquire riches that last forever. So, let's put these three observations together from Luke chapter 33, because these three observations put together are going to make up our bottom line truth today. Look up here on the screen, all three of them together. God does not need your money. Number two, this is a commandment now. This is a commandment that Jesus is commanding us to acquire riches in heaven, to store up treasure for ourselves. And number three, heavenly riches last forever. Here's our bottom line truth. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Jesus commands us to be rich in the things that matter and the things that last forever. Jesus commands us to be rich. Let's just use that word because that's the word Jesus uses. He commands us to be rich in the things that matter. And the things that last forever. He says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Okay, so how do I do that? How do we acquire, how do we obey Jesus' commands and acquire for ourselves, store up a mass wealth that will last forever? In other words, what must we do to be truly and eternally rich? Look at the first half of verse 33. This is how Jesus says, this is the key now. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. In other words, do you want eternal wealth? Give away temporal wealth. Do you want heavenly riches? Release earthly riches. In other words, simply put, in order to be rich, you must be generous. In order to be rich, you must be generous. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Pure, unbridled, no-strings-attached generosity is the pathway to true, heavenly, eternal riches where no moth will destroy and no rust gets in and no thief gets in and takes it away Pure, unbridled generosity is the pathway to true riches. In order to be rich, you must be generous. Now, let's talk about that word generous for a minute so we can wrap our heads around what it is and especially what it is biblically. First, I looked up generosity this week. This is what preachers do. It's like, well, let's, let's look up in a dictionary. What does generous mean? Here's, what the dictionary, here's how the dictionary defines generous. It says showing a readiness to give more of something, as in money or time, than is strictly necessary or expected. Generosity is giving more than, is, than what is necessary or what is expected. It means going above and beyond. It means giving extravagantly. As I read about generosity this week, I actually discovered a synonym for the word generous that accurately reflects Christ's understanding of the concept. So we're going to define generous real easily this way and just kind of in one word because this is what Jesus has in mind when he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor, when he's teaching us about generosity. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Generous equals open-handed. Generosity is open-handedness. 
So Jesus says, rather than hoarding, watch me now, rather than hoarding, rather than acquiring, rather than storing up and gripping tightly, hold your earthly riches loosely with open hands. Because when you open your hands, you are ready to receive the eternal riches, the heavenly treasure that only God can give. A generous person is open-handed with time, with energy, and with money. So, if generosity or open-handedness is the pathway to true, eternal, heavenly wealth, I want to tell you three other reasons that generosity is so critical. Again, first reason we're talking about this is because we came across the passage in Luke chapter 12. (laughs) Second reason we're talking about this is because... I want to clear up some misconceptions about, you know, people get this idea that, that, you know, again, God wants your money, God needs your money, the church wants your money, and you need to give more money and all that stuff. That's not what Jesus says. He says, I'm in it for you. Store up riches for yourself. I'll just give you a tip as to how to make sure that nothing ever, you never invest in something that's going to go down. You always invest in something you're going to get big returns on. And that's invest in heavenly things. That's invest in kingdom things. And he says, in order to do that, be generous. Hold your earthly riches loosely with open hands. Three other reasons that generosity is critical. Number one, generosity is the heartbeat of God. Open-handedness, extravagant giving, holding resources loosely is the heartbeat of God. For those of you who've been around church for a long time, John 3, 16, say it with me now. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Generosity. I love the way Paul says it in Romans 8, 32. He says that God, who did not spare his own son, in other words, he held his son with open hands, will surely not hesitate to graciously give us all things. I love that Paul adds the word graciously. In other words, God is freely generous. He's open-handed, no strings attached, unbridled, extravagant generosity is the heartbeat of God. So if we want to be like him, what do we have to do? Be generous. Number two, generosity was the heartbeat of the early church. Generosity is the heartbeat of God, but generosity was also the heartbeat of the early church. Look up here on the screen, Acts 2, verse 45. It's up here on the screen. It says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. Does that sound like generosity to you in case we're not clear? As many had need, they received their food with glad and what? Generous hearts, open-handed. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words, the early church held their possessions, their earthly possessions, with open hands. And what did God pour into those open hands? He poured favor with people into their open hands. He poured great meals around tables and friends and fellowship into open hands. And he poured even more Christ followers into those open hands because they held their earthly possessions loosely. One of those folks that God poured into their open hands was a guy named Pacomius. 
Pachomius, when he was 21 years old, was in the 4th century, early 4th century, so 300s, early 300s. He's 21 years old, and he was drafted by the Roman army. And this is what happens when you are drafted by the Roman army. Someone holds a sword up to you and says, I'm going to stab you, or you're going to enlist in the army. And then that's kind of one of those, let me think about it. Sure. Um, And so what they would do is they would take these folks that were just drafted now into the Roman army, and they would put them in prison until they could send them out to be trained in the Roman army. Pacomius, he was a pagan. He had no really spiritual sense at all when he was 21 years old. But when he was in prison, awaiting getting sent out to be trained to be a Roman soldier, a famine hit. This is early 4th century. A famine hit. And there was no food and, and, and no resources in the Roman Empire. He was from a place called Thebes, which is modern-day Egypt. And so every day, these people used to walk into Pacomius' cell and they would give him, hand through the bars, they'd give him food and they'd give him water and they'd give him resources and they'd do that with all the other prisoners. And if they would not have done that, then all of the prisoners would have died of starvation. Pacomius came to find out that these folks that were being generous and giving him food and holding their resources with open hands happened to be a part of a new cult called The Way. So Pacomius, when he got out of prison, decided that he was going to find out what this group of people was and what they were about. And he found out that not only were they part of a new cult called the Way, but people used to use this derogatory term about these folks. They called them Christians, little Christs, first called Christians at Antioch. And Pacomius found that the generosity of the early church, that they held their resources with open hands, was the heartbeat of who they were. So Pacomius gave his life to Jesus because of the generosity of the early church. Today he's called Pacomius the Great because when he died in the middle of the, third, or the, middle of the fourth century, over 7,000 people would say, I know Jesus because of Pacomius' testimony. Saint Pacomius. And it all started with the generosity of the early church. That was their heartbeat. Let's keep going. Number three, here's why generosity is so critical. Generosity is critical, especially generosity with money now, because that's what Jesus is talking about, relocates value on what matters most. Generosity, especially with money, I've got that in parentheses, but generosity in general relocates value on what matters most. I love how Jesus concludes uh, in this little section. It's called a pericope. It's a $2 theological word. There's no quiz. You don't need to know. He concludes with this statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So for some of you who've been around church for a while, you may have heard someone say, follow your spending habits, and that will tell you what matters most to you. Look at your bank account. Look at your checkbook. Look at your wallet. Find out where you spend your money, and that's what matters most to you. That's what you value most. Follow your spending habits. And that's absolutely true. Jesus is saying, follow your spending habits to find out what you love. That's true. When I uh, got engaged to Amy, I remember um, just before we got engaged, the World Series was in Phoenix, Arizona. The Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks were in the World Series. And I'm a huge baseball fan. Like big enough that when, uh, the, I think the Diamondbacks won game six and went on to game seven of the World Series, I literally stood in line overnight for World Series Game 7 tickets. My buddy and I stood 
all night. I, I got out of class at like 1.30. I was in line by 2 o'clock, and I got my tickets the next day at 4. So I was in line for 26 hours, and I bought the maximum amount of tickets that one could buy. And I love baseball, love baseball. I Baseball all day, all the time. Like if they just let me mow the grass, that'd be fine. Like I love baseball. So I had seven World Series tickets, but I really loved this girl a lot too. So I sold them, and I made a chunk of change on them. And then in the bottom of the ninth, if you watch baseball, the Diamondbacks got the final hit, and they won the World Series, and everyone went crazy, and I was very sad. I sold my tickets, but the point is I sold my tickets. And I made a chunk of change on him. And when I didn't have enough to buy a ring with that uh, margin that I bought my tickets, I sold a guitar too. You could follow my spending habits, right? To see what I loved the most. So Jesus, that's what he's saying. He's saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But he's also saying that generosity, open-handedness with your resources will relocate your value on what matters most. He's saying, if my values are skewed, if my values are a little off biblically, if my values don't square with Jesus' values, Jesus is saying, Pour your resources into the right things. Be generous towards kingdom stuff. Relocate your treasure and you'll relocate your value. Funnel your economic resources towards furthering God's kingdom and you'll find that you love God's kingdom more. And side note, you'll be storing up for yourself riches in heaven. All right, so here's what we've established. We've established that Jesus commands us to be rich in what matters and what lasts forever. We know that in order to do that, we must be generous. We must be open-handed in all things, but especially with money. And we know that generosity is critical because it is the heartbeat of God. It's the heartbeat of his church. And when we're generous, we relocate what we value. So I'm assuming that most of us would say, I, I would like that. I want that. I, 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 want to, I want to live out the heartbeat of God. I want to live out the ways in which his church is supposed to live. Uh, I want to store up for myself riches that don't grow old, where no moth destroys and no thief breaks in and steal. I, I want that. Jesus says, awesome. Can I tell you two things that are going to get in your way? Two roadblocks? Look at what Jesus says. Here's some roadblocks to generosity. Look at verse 13. We're going to rewind to verse 13 and talk about two roadblocks to generosity. I'll give you three points of application and we'll be done. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? What's happening here? This man and his brother are arguing about an inheritance. What are they arguing about? Money. They're arguing about money. And this man comes to Jesus because he knows Jesus loves generosity. And he's thinking, I can't convince my brother to be generous with the money, but maybe Jesus will convince my my brother to be generous with money. You ever ever been sitting in a church service one time and you're thinking to yourself, this is not for me, but I really wish so-and-so was here? You ever think about that? This man's doing the same thing. I mean, this, this generosity thing is not for me. It's for my brother. Jesus, would you talk to him? about being generous. And Jesus responds, take care and be on guard because there there are some roadblocks against all covetousness. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Literally, the literal translation would be, you do not exist in your stuff. So take care and be on guard against covetousness. What does Jesus reveal as roadblock number one for generosity? It's greed. Covetousness, amassing more, getting more, earning more, having more. He says, be on guard, take care, because that's going to prevent you from being generous, prevent you from living out the heart of God, prevent you from living out the purpose of God's church, and prevent you from getting really rich eternally. So be on guard against greed. Keep reading with me, keep reading. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? If Jesus was preaching now, he would say, fool, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You're in trouble by storing up these things for yourself. Jesus continues, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich, there it is again, toward God. Let's make one thing clear, one thing absolutely clear. Jesus does not correct or admonish this farmer for his productivity. Let's get it clear. In other words, it's not a bad thing to be a productive farmer. It's not a bad thing to be a productive businessman or a real estate investor. It's not a bad thing to get a raise. It's not a bad thing to be super successful and even have money or even a lot of money. In fact, listen to this, biblically speaking, if you take a $200,000 business and turn it into a $200 million business and invest in the economy and create jobs and increase the availability of worthy goods and services in our community, then you have done a good thing. This is not an issue of prospering a business and making a lot of money. The issue is what you do with it. That's the critical piece. And this man did not make the right choice. Look at verse 18. He said to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. It's about him, isn't it? It's about him. It's not about sharing with others or caring for others or investing in God's kingdom. It's all about me. In fact, look up here on the screen. Look at this. I think this is fascinating. He uses the word I or my 11 times in less than three verses. You see that? It's all about me, my, I. What can I do? Greed, covetousness, amassing more for myself. Now, we might think, well, that's not me. I'm not greedy. I don't need to amass more and collect more and get more. I would beg to differ. Do you know why? Because I go to Costco too. You ever walk into Costco? Like, everybody know what Costco is? Did it used to be called Price Club here? It used to be called Price Club in Arizona. It's like, it's always going to be Price Club to me. Okay, so I walk into Costco, and I've got to get, well, these days it's like diapers, right? And it's like, 
It's like, do I really need 5,000 diapers? I'm, 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 I'm calculating this, right? And you walk around Costco, and what do you see? Things that you never knew you needed. But now that you see it, you're not going to live another day without it, right? I might die if I don't have that enormous jacuzzi. Like, I need to load that up, right, in my cart. Someone help me get this in my cart. Or yesterday, a friend told me that uh, now there's, like, generators. They have, like, a bunch of generators on sale at Costco. You know what I saw at Costco? This, this is not in my notes. I'm just going to tell you. Here's what I saw at Costco. Here, here, three weeks ago, during the coldest February on record, snorkel gear. And I'm walking through Costco, and I'm thinking to myself, Amy and I have snorkel gear, but that was better snorkel gear. I need the snorkel gear in order to survive February in Canada. That's what I need. We have this something inside of us that's hardwired, that, that just causes us to amass more, get more, collect more. Check this out. It's going to blow your mind. Typical North American household income, typical North American household is $50,000 a year. That's typical. That's average. In that average household, that average household gives away 6% of its income. So if you make $50,000, on average, you give away 6% of your income. If you make $100,000, you give 4% away. If you make $200,000, you give 3% away. The more you make per year, on average, maybe not you, I'm assuming not you, but other people out there that aren't here, okay? The more that we make, on average, the less by percentage we give away. That's what the statistics say. Why? Because greed can captivate our hearts. It can be all about me and storing more up and holding things tightly, gripping onto them and not releasing them. And generosity says, now watch this, watch my hand. Generosity says, I relinquish my right to focus on me. I hold things with open hands so that others are blessed. Because the incessant desire for more can captivate our heart and cripple our movement towards generosity. So Jesus says roadblock number one is greed to true generosity, living out the heart of God and the heart of his church, storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven, relocating our values onto the right things. Number one is going to be greed. Roadblock number two, pick it up in verse 22. Here we go. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food. You don't exist in your food and the body more than clothing. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added 
to you. Roadblock number two for generosity. The thing that's going to get in our way, and I gave you a really big hint there by highlighting it on the screen. What is it? It's worry. It's worry. It's anxiety. And Jesus says, look at the ravens. By the way, kind of a despised bird in Hebrew culture at this time. They don't have barns at all, much less bigger and better barns, and they are still so cared for. Listen to what he says, and God loves you so much more than he loves them. Jesus says, look at the lilies. No amount of money could buy clothing as beautiful as the flowers have, and God loves you so much more than he loves them. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's full of true riches, and your heavenly Father will care for the rest. I want to talk to you real quickly about the ways in which worry cripples generosity. We talked about the way greed cripples generosity. That's kind of an easy one. How does worry cripple generosity? You ever notice what you worry about? Think about the things that you worry most about. Better yet, think about the things that you don't worry about. Here's the thing. We don't worry about things that have already happened. We might feel grief or regret or disappointment over what's already transpired, but we don't worry about the past. Why? Because it's outside of our control. It's already happened. We have no say in it. We can't influence it. So why worry about it? We worry about the things that might happen or could happen or might not happen or how they might happen. Why? Because they're outside of our control. In other words, worry is about control. Now watch this. Watch my hand now. If I tend to worry, I tend to grip down and clench in order to control circumstances and people and situations. And when I do that, I render myself unable to be generous. If I I try to exercise control, if I try to grip down, if I try to clench because of my anxiety and because of my worry... I'm even, like, even holding, I'm like getting white knuckle just holding my hand like this. And we live lives like this, and Jesus says, release your right to control the situation. Worry says, I've got to control. Generosity says, I relinquish my right to control. Finally, here's the great part about Luke 12. And then we're gonna, I'm going to talk about three just quickly, quickly points of application. Great part about Luke 12, remember, when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he's not telling us, find, well, he is telling us, find where you spend your money, and that will tell you what you value. But he's also saying, relocate your spending, and that will change what you value. In other words, and check this out, greed and worry are roadblocks to generosity and heavenly riches. But generosity is also the antidote to greed and worry. If greed and worry lock our resources away, prevent us from investing in heavenly things, prevent us from reflecting the heart of God, prevent us from storing up true riches for ourselves, then generosity, open-handedness, releasing is the key to mitigating greed and worry. When we're generous, when we live open-handed lives, when we give extravagantly, we find greed and worry rendered powerless in our lives. Three points of application. We're going to receive communion and worship together and be done. 
if generosity is truly the heart of God, and it is, if it's the heartbeat of the early church or was the heartbeat of the early church and should be the heartbeat of the church now, and it should be, if generosity helps us to store up riches in heaven, store up things that will not be destroyed and will not grow old and will not become obsolete, if that's the pathway, how do you do it? Number one, create a regular generosity plan. Create a regular generosity plan. Some of us are pretty well-intended when it comes to giving, but if you're like me, I'm super absent-minded. Like, I'm the guy that, you know, walks out without shoes on out of the house all the time or, you know, without my car keys. Or I make, you ever make lunch for yourself and just leave it in the refrigerator and you get to lunchtime and you go, dah, I had it. That's me all the time. So when it comes to generosity, I've got to put a plan together. I've got to put a regular thing together. And so... For, for Amy and I, uh, we've chosen to kind of do computer, like online, whatever, giving. Because we have a plan put together. We have a plan put together. It just comes out. We don't ever see it. Just, there it goes. To be generous towards God's kingdom things. You know why? Because I want to store up riches for myself in heaven. Because Jesus commands me to. I like that. Just goes away. Create a regular generosity plan. Number two. Create margin such that you can be spontaneously generous. I'm not telling you who to be generous toward. We're going to talk about the church next week. I'm not telling you, you know, I'm just saying create margin so you can be spontaneously generous. For some of you, margin in your budget means five bucks a month to buy somebody Starbucks. Or five bucks a month to, you know, put five bucks worth of gas in somebody's car. For some of you, spontaneous generosity means creating $5,000 a month of margin. It's not about the amount. It's about being spontaneously generous so that when someone comes along and says, I have a need, we have margin in our budget, we've sacrificed, we've squeezed, we've said, I don't need that scuba gear so I can be generous towards someone who does have a need and store up for myself treasure in heaven. Finally, Third point of application will be done. Celebrate the ways in which generosity, both yours and others, makes kingdom impact. We don't do this all that well. And I'm not saying pat yourself on the back. Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I get that. But there's this concept, there's this idea that we can look and say, someone was generous there. This church, Bayview Glen, you guys, on Christmas Eve, gave away like $12,000 to local organizations. I think that's awesome to uh, local organizations that are serving the under-resourced and serving the poor. We celebrate those things. Not because we pat ourselves on the back and the I, me, my, but we say, wow, we took a, we took a, a loony or a toony or whatever it was that really doesn't have any value at all, to be honest, and we gave it away, and something is going to exist forever because of the way that this church was generous. It's okay to celebrate that stuff. I'm going to conclude the way Jesus concludes. I thought of about 50 really clever conclusions to my message today, and none of them were as good as Jesus's. Surprise, surprise. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, 
with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Band and worship team, you guys come back up to lead us. Ushers, you guys can prepare for communion. God, we... We want to obey the full counsel of Scripture. God, we want to obey everything you tell us to do. And Jesus, in Luke 12, you tell us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Provide for ourselves money bags that do not grow old, where moth does not destroy, thieves don't break in and steal, and and rust can't get to it, and Satan can't get to it, and And we can't squander it, God, once it's in that heavenly account. So, Jesus, we want to be generous people. We want to be a church that's marked by generosity. We're living a life of open-handedness. God, prevent us from letting greed get in the way. Prevent us from letting worry get in the way. Teach us, God, what it means to live a life of generosity and store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. In Christ's name. Amen.